so. Today's feature. Here we are. Podcast of Fury, episode one. Hi, Joe. Hi, uh, Paul. When did you start watching Kung Fu movies? I don't remember. I mean, it was pre-five years old. You know, whenever whenever uh, WNEW Channel 5 in New York started playing them, that's when I started watching them. Early elementary school at the latest. And how old are you? Uh, I am uh, 48. Right. And uh, when did you start uh, Kung Fu movies? Well, I mean, you're older than the boom. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm 55 at, uh, at the present time of recording. <laughs> Same as you. Uh, as a kid, Channel 5 in New York uh, had the drive-in movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed Kung Fu movies. They also showed horror films like Hammer and stuff like yeah. that. And, uh, you know, I just, I just gravitated to her, towards it. And, you know, Throughout my life, there have been period of times when I've become ridiculously obsessed <laughs> and then kind of quieted down. But I've, I've generally loved martial arts films since I was, you know, in grade school. So, you know. Yeah, uh, no, totally. Now, do you remember when like Fist of Fury played? Do you, was, what was like the, not Fist of Fury, uh, Five Fingers of Death, which most people technically would say is the first one to come to America. Do you remember like an ad campaign or anything about it? or or reading about it in like deadly hands of kung fu or something no my first memories of that are are, there were uh commercials probably for benny hill during benny hill Mm -hmm. uh as a kid that was on channel nine like 11 o'clock and you would get like double feature fist of fury and the chinese connection playing at your local theater 42nd (laughs) street or something columbia pictures presents the immortal bruce lee in two blockbusting martial arts classics, The Chinese Connection and Fists of Fury. Don't miss the invincible Bruce Lee as he defies all odds. In The Chinese Connection and Fists of Fury. Rated R, under 17, not admitted with our parents. And, uh... and growing up in Staten Island, that was not local for you at all. Oh, no, and I was way too young for that. Unfortunately, I missed all that. Not that old, unfortunately. I would do that. I, I have unironically said that if I could uh, if I could travel in time, I would probably love to see a Kung Fu movie on 42nd Street in the 70s just to feel what that experience was like. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. So you started watching them, and then I guess you were renting them, and then did you start collecting? Yeah, started watching them, and I guess, you know, it's weird. And one thing that I, that I think is, you know, kind of important to the sort of love of the genre is how much of a lesser genre it was considered when we were kids, or the way I remember it. Like, like it was just like, you know, like Kung Fu and Godzilla movies. Like, yeah, you could like them, um, and a lot of people really liked them, myself included. But at the same time, it's like, I am admitting I like this thing that is bad. Yeah, the, the the stigma attached to them is something that we'll we'll probably cover a lot uh, over the episodes. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, like driving theater kind of uh, driving theater kind of went went off the Saturday at three p.m. slot. You know, I guess by the time I hit, uh, you know, somewhere in junior high school when uh, Fox bought Channel Five, uh, and then the like kung fu the black belt theater package which i believe is the generic name for the syndicated package they uh, channel five started playing them at like 
one in the morning, two in the morning on Saturdays and occasionally, and I didn't discover this for like a year. And then when I discovered it, I was like, oh my God, I have to tape these things. And the commercial, it was terrible. The commercial breaks would be like seven minutes long. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, you'd get like, and there's some films where it's not that big of a deal, but like something like uh, Deadly Weapons of Kung Fu or Deadly Weapons of China, uh, like that film hardly works. The plot of, it took me four times before I actually understood the plot of the movie. And if you get it with commercial breaks, it's just like any sense of narrative gets broken up. Yeah. They were they were cut up, I'm sure, as uh, you know, when we were kids, I'm sure those weren't the unedited version. So did they run very long with all those commercials or did they really cut the crap out of them? I wonder. I, you know, I, I can't really say because anyway, you know, because as I was saying, the, you know, I would tape them occasionally, I'd stay up for them. Um, but it wasn't until like at my grandmother's house in the Hamptons she had in her uh, kind of cable package uh, a Rhode Island station that would show them, you know, that showed them once on Friday night and once on Saturday night, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, and those had like almost no commercials. I mean, it would be like a minute of commercials. So they always worked well into the two hour time slots. Sometimes it would even be a hour and 45 minutes because some of those films are like 85 minutes long. Um, and those I taped and that's when I really started to like know the actors, know the genre. Um, and yeah, and really, I guess by the time I hit my early twenties, that's when I started collecting them like a maniac and which and, is and also guess, the height of the new wave of right after the height, I guess, of the new wave of Hong Kong. So there's also the Jet Lees and the, the Jackies and everything else. So is that, is that VHS? Yeah, this is VHS. Right. Right. And living in New York, there's some legendary VHS stores. Oh yeah. Uh, there was the you know, 43rd chamber, uh, was amazing. And cheap. It was like three for ten dollars. Excuse me, three for thirty dollars, oh. ten dollars a piece. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you know, I was an adult at that point, and like you know, jockeying a cash register, so I can like, like you know, I had money, so I could throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've spent a, a ridiculous amount of money on on uh, martial arts DVDs. A ridiculous yeah. amount. Of money. <laughs> there'd always be there'd be like a lull for like a year or two years, and then suddenly something would pique my interest in the genre again. Usually like DVDs coming, like, uh, you know, during the DVD boom, there was the crash cinema stuff that looked terrible. That were basically just transfers of VHS tapes. So if you ever wondered if there were DVDs that had tracking lines. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah, because because with me, I I am an obsessive collector of things. So I never collected movies until the 2000s. I mm -hmm. purposely never bought VHS or, or DVD of any kind. Uh, and then I, I started with the martial arts films and it was, it was disgusting. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, that those, those were times I, you know, the early two thousands, I imagine it was the same in the eighties with VHS, you know, all this stuff is now coming out on tape. And then in the, the two thousands, oh, we have this new media and now everything's coming out on DVD in such varying quality, such oh, yeah. trash, but it was, uh. It was a magical time, you know, <laughs> it really was. No, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, just the, the idea of having, you know, crippled Avengers like widescreen was ridiculous. Well, you know? well yeah, I've, I've often said that a lot of movies that I grew up thinking were, you know, kind of trash and I didn't understand the value people put on them. It's because we were seeing pan and scan mm -hmm. and ugly watered out stuff. I mean, you know, there's a lot of gorgeous looking films out there that 
just got passed by when you had to watch them on a crappy VHS tape. There are like, you know, kind of 70s, 80s TV nostalgic, nostalgic people who will talk about like, oh, you know, growing up with a lot of local film stations, it was basically like, you know, a free film school because every movie you want is on at any time. And there's truth to that. But it's also like, yeah, and if you like having a have a five minute commercial breaks every ten minutes, or a film edited to crap, or a widescreen shown in a full screen format on like a nineteen inch color RCA TV or something, you know, it's just it's like really kind of the worst way to watch them. You know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And now it never ends because yep. there's a new format. You know, we're reaching the singularity. <laughs> we'll be beaming these in our heads soon. But yeah, it's. It's interesting where honestly, I don't collect anymore. I, I tend not to. I know we've we've talked. Well, that's one thing. Why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> we are doing this podcast because I love Kung Fu movies. I knew you loved Kung Fu movies from the podcast you do with Evan Dork and Tear Them Apart. And I was like, wow, Paul seems like a smart and knowledgeable guy about movies. I wonder if he'd be interested in doing a Kung Fu movie podcast with me. <laughs> you know, I have honestly... Uh, was a little shocked when you messaged me about this because I never thought I talked that much on the Tear It Apart podcast about martial arts stuff. It, you know, the big one, I guess, was, it might have been like the first or second episode, like Evan kind of goes here and like, so how many Kung Fu movies do you own? And you're like, I own roughly 4,000. <laughs> you know, like I, I roughly own 2,000. Okay. And between 2000, December of 2000 and... December of 2008, watched about a thousand of them. <laughs> um, but, but I have weird definitions for what count as martial arts films. So that's something we should talk about. All right. No, I, I'm very curious. What is your lexicon? What is your... <laughs> well, well, for instance, um, I count the 70s three and four Musketeer films as martial arts films. I'll, I find I'll it, buy that. Yeah, I, I find it impossible how you wouldn't. I mean, you know, if you think of... Things like the Swordsman series in the 90s or mm -hmm. Wuxia films from the 60s or something. I mean, it, the, the, the way the weapons are used, the stylized action, it seems kind of, you know, impossible to say those aren't martial arts films. Uh, but I didn't cheat with those thousand and, and put all those yeah. in there. So I mean, generally, you... you... The, your couple thousand are, I would assume, Asian films. Um, oh, most definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, mostly prefer kind of Hong Kong style action, uh, you know, different decades of it too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I kind of like it all. So yeah, you contacted me on Twitter. And what I find interesting about this is, you know, I, I doing podcasts, I, I tend to think usually happens between people that know each other, mm -hmm. you know, so there's a lot of familiarity about what people like and don't like and, you know, how they get along. And since we really don't know each other. I find it really interesting to have these conversations because, you know, I watched a lot of these. I forced a lot of friends to watch, <laughs> you know, mostly they were willing. Uh, but yeah, there's a, you know, it's an interesting obsession with these movies and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll bring that out when we talk about them. So. Oh yeah, no, totally. Um, and they work so well to me, um, you know, as like, I love uh, particularly like the 70s and 80s and it's definitely true of Shaw Brothers but uh, like a week ago I'm watching Dragon Lord the Jackie Chan film from 1982 I think and it's like hey it's you know the villain from from Five Element Ninjas and that and 
I don't know the actor's name, but he's a character actor at Shaw Brothers who usually like like he's a Chen Quintai sidekick in a, a boxer from Shang Tung. He's like uh, T Lung's pal in uh, the Duel. Um, it's just this kind of like nerdy looking guy, and he's one of the like he's one of the, the guy who hangs out with Jackie Chan and Mars in that film. And I'm like, oh, it's that guy, and it's that guy, and you know, it's so much fun and it and it's sort of like when you get into like warner brothers gangster films it's like hey it's ward bond and alan hale you know well exactly i i remember years ago when i when i really became obsessed in it in the 2000s yeah you know, i remember someone coming up to me and saying well you know aren't they all the same and i was like with any hobby or obsession <laughs> you know once you get into it you start there's there's a lot of need to that yeah uh, you know, for me, I remember when I first started rewatching these in the in the 2000s, you know, after a while you start learning the styles, right? Mm -hmm. You start learning, you know, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's Panther, that's, mm -hmm. that's Eagle Claw. And then, yeah, the actors. And then, you know, if your interest takes you there, the filmmakers, the, the directors, the action directors, the stunt people, um, unfortunately, you know, I think even to this day, some of that information isn't that easy to find uh, in, in the sense that I'm not really reading books. I, I, I would love to know the relationship on a film between a director and an action director mm -hmm. when they're different and, and, and how they work together. And, you know, the, it's a it's a fascinating aspect of it. See, I'm not one for commentaries. <laughs> so I never listened to those. So I'm not sure if the insight is in there or not. It depends on the commentator, basically. Yeah. Right, right. I will say nowadays, like lately, there have been a lot of uh, really good uh, uh, Blu-rays of Kung Fu films that have been released and some really knowledgeable commentators are on there, both in terms of, hey, it's that guy and that guy and that guy, and they work together in this and at this time, you know, blah, 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 there was a contract dispute and also like, you know, just guys who know a ton about like Chinese literature and history in a way that you really would have to study it. And it's just, right, you know, right. fascinating. I yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that'll come through with us talking is really this is the side of of Westerners and how these films were presented to us. There's a lot of them that are exploitation films, and there's a lot of like eras, like say Shaw Brothers after 1980, where it's always set bound, and it's always the same sets, you know. <laughs> Right, and right. you could see like the the sky background is like wrinkled, you know, like right. the background. Right, which gets worse now with all these restored yeah. versions. They're, they're, it's pretty obvious, but still, I find that a kind of charming and comforting thing yeah. growing up to them. Because I I also think that one of the reasons I got into kung fu movies, they're like superhero stuff to me. They're, oh, totally. You know the 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 costumes, the culture, everything's mm -hmm. different, and it was interesting to see these people doing these amazing feats and the heroism oh, yeah. and all that you know and i mean when we were kids there was no i mean there were cartoons and obviously there were literally the comics but like it's certainly that certainly there isn't anything there wasn't anything like the marvel cinematic universe but like even i mean what was the superhero movie when we were kids superman and there's not a lot of Superman's. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, there's not a lot of Superman stuff. It's basically a lot of him flying, not punching through buildings. Right. Where you look at, like, I mean, Crippled Avengers is basically the Daredevil movie that never happened, you know? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, you get into these power sets. It's it's a mm -hmm. fascinating thing. 
so yeah, that I think that really was, you know, one of the factors that drew me towards the genre in the first place. And you get some spectacular stuff these days with CGI. Although CGI is honestly the one factor in martial arts movies that have disappointed me the most. I don't really like CGI. I, I'll trampolines, fine. Why were fine? <laughs> well, if you I didn't like those two things, then you don't like the genre. I mean, basically. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't like. I don't like CGI much. Although it, I have seen films where it's been done well. So. Yeah, relatively speaking, I can't. I'm trying to think if I've seen any martial arts film with heavy any Asian martial arts film with like heavy CGI. Um, and other than like. I think it was like Ong Bak or The Protector. One of the Tony Jaa movies had like some kind of like animated sequence involving elephants, but it was like a flashback or something like that. It's been a long time since I've seen it. There was like a flashback. It wasn't in the film and it's kind of countermanded by the fact that like Tony Jaa's jumping between like, you know, three boxes or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think of films there's like, God, is it a man called hero is an early CGI film. Terrible. I hate the CGI. Uh, yeah, I, I but I recently saw the uh, uh, Young Judge D film that I really liked. That of course, you know, which is my problem. I can never remember the goddamn names of anything. <laughs> That's one of the great parts: the fact that you edit these things. No, I recently saw uh, it was Judge D and the Four Heavenly Kings. Uh, I, I, I a lot of CGI in that. A lot of uh, interesting characters. I think it worked really, really well. I was shocked. Uh, was anybody in there of note? I don't think so. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible thing. I feel like I have this old man quality that honestly, a lot of Kung Fu movies from 2010 to present, I don't feel like I have a lot of knowledge of. I've watched them, but I think that almost decade of obsession in the arts kind of made me take more of a break than I usually do from these things. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sue Hark directed it or Chu Hark, or you will learn from this podcast. I can't <laughs> pronounce a fucking name. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I mean, no offense. You know, he's made some amazing stuff over the years. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, you know, actually one of my blind spots is a supernatural uh, Asian films. Like I've never seen a Chinese ghost story. I've never seen Mr. Vampire. I've never seen Close Encounters of the Spooky Kind. Right. Um, you know, I've seen like some of the 80s Shaw stuff. Like, I, you know, I've seen Human Skin Lanterns. But um, yeah, it, it, it's just one of those like, I guess whenever I ran into like Hopping Dead in, you know, like Taiwanese, like Ocean Shores video release films, I was always <laughs> like, oh my God, this is terrible. So I just, I never really kind of, I, I never really got past the threshold of, growing up enough to realize just because you don't like it in one film doesn't mean you won't like it in its entirety. Yeah. I, I would definitely say I, I recently rewatched um, Encounters of the Spooky Kind. I think it's terrific. I think it might've been uh, Samuel Hung's one of his best movies. I don't think it's his best, but one of, it's got a really interesting story. It's really layered. It's got fun characters. The action is really works the humor works mm -hmm. you know humor could be a real problem in these things and uh and it's and it's gorgeous looking i say this a lot and i don't know if it translates there seems to be more in it than needs to be if that makes sense watch that film if you enjoy that there's a bunch of things that are really really fun to see there's um 
Mr. Vampire. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of legitimate ones in the series and offshoots that are fun. And uh, a modern version called uh, Magic Cop, also tar- tar- uh, starring Lam Chi Ying, if that's pronounced correctly. <laughs> and uh, that film's a blast. Uh, humor gets in the way in some parts, but it's it's a, it's definitely worth a watch. Well, definitely. I mean, and it's one of those you mean like seminal films that there's no reason I haven't seen at this point. Yeah. Well, it happens, right? Yeah. You know, I didn't see I didn't see the Road Warrior to the mid nineties. Really? Nuts. Yeah. Talking to each other, we messaging each other how we wanted to handle this, and I thought it might be interesting to pick two films to talk about, but not tell each other. Mm-hmm. So you know. Odds are we've both seen them, but maybe we haven't. Uh, we definitely don't know our opinions. And um, you mentioned it already. Um, uh, last night I rewatched for God knows how many times uh, Five Fingers of Death. Oh, nice. Yeah. Love Five Fingers. The new movie sensation that's stunning the world. The martial arts masterpiece. Sights and sounds like never before. Cheer the young warrior who alone takes on the evil warlords of martial arts. AKA King Boxer for yep. the purest set there. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's something. It's it's interesting how after the DVDs came out and restored stuff, a lot of the sacred titles we all grew up with really started getting shifted over. You know? mm-hmm. I don't think anybody calls 36 Chamber Master Killer anymore. Uh, yeah, like the RZA is probably the last. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, so I picked I, I, an interesting. You know, you I rewatched it. I, you know, read up a little about it, so I didn't sound like a an idiot. <laughs> and uh, and the thing I, I I did not know, which is pure coincidence, is that it premiered uh, late March of uh, nineteen seventy three mm-hmm. in the United States. So we're approaching the fiftieth anniversary of this all happening the the boom in uh martial arts films in uh in the united states yeah. so. no totally so what were your uh, feelings in five fingers of death having rewatched it for the first time in many years well it holds up it's a it's a cracking good movie <laughs> um, you know well, one of the things about talking about martial arts films is is mm-hmm. there's so many of them it's kind of like talking about comic books right there's superheroes <laughs> you know, there's autobiographical. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, there's horror. Man- there's romance. It's like, yeah. everything. and you know, I, I think Five Fingers of Death, King Boxer, really fits into a certain time frame of martial arts films. It's 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 very early seventies. It mm-hmm. reflects a lot of that. I think people going into it for the first time will wind up experiencing so many of the tropes that become known in the genre and not even not that they necessarily started in this film, but they're all there. You, you get uh, a tournament rival schools, Mm -hmm. anti-Japanese sentiment. (laughs) Yeah. Evil Japanese come in to fight um, a technique Mm -hmm. to learn training. uh, And I guess it, you know, you kind of, you know, once the Kung Fu comedy comes about in the later 70s you get less of it but these Shaw brothers are very melodramatic the story really you know between people beating the shit out of each other there's a lot of 
uh, melodrama going on. Oh, yeah. and, for me, and for me, that really works. The score is great. The, the action, which I guess uh, I remember people, I don't know, what do the kids call it? Punch and block. Very, it, it might seem not as choreographed or acrobatic as we get in, in the coming decades, but it's, it's visceral. It, yeah. it feels like people are getting the shit beat out of them. No, it definitely and, has, you know, forgive the pun, but it definitely has a punch to it. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and it just, it just worked for me. I, I would, it's weird because to suggest this to someone, I'd be hesitant, not because it's not a good movie and not because I, I don't think they'd like it, but I'm not sure if that old, old school is appreciated by everyone. I'm not sure. I mean, I could see that insofar as a lot of people, just old movies don't appeal to them. Um, you know, like I've been shocked, like I've been shocked how many people in my life I've met, like, yeah, I don't really like black and white movies. And it's just like, are you insane? <laughs> but with, you know, with the, with like five fingers of death, there's also like, I mean, one of the things I love about it is it's work. It very much has like, it steals a lot of, or, you know, is influenced by like American Westerns. There are things like, you know, the showgirl, you know, the heart of gold. There's the, uh, you know, the scene where Lowley won't fight in the like tea house. That's straight out of shame. Um, and then they're pouring the food and the tea on him and he's just taking it, you know, um, kind of seems to be set in the North. There are a lot of people with weird furry vests too. Which somehow that relates to cowboys. Don't ask right, me. How. There, <laughs> right, there is there is an excellent furry vest. That yeah, I really like. yeah, it, it, really well shot. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a lot of interesting shot compositions in it. Again, that like more than it needs to have. Oh yeah. Um, well, they're really going through like there's a lot of just shots of Lowley with his hands in front of him, emphasizing how big his hands are. You yeah, and, yeah. I mean, I mean, to give a little background. If anybody doesn't know this, who's listening to this, <laughs> hopefully someone's listening. To yeah, this. there's uh, we have friends. Five <laughs> right, mom. Five figures of uh, five figures of death. It kind of is is talked about as as the first martial arts film in America that started the craze. And I that explanation needs a little more kind of mm -hmm. talk about it. It's it's kind of weird. I I don't believe. For instance, that if this film didn't exist, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's like Enter I, the Dragon comes out three months later. You know? Right, exactly. This is this was going to happen. We were hitting a critical point in the early seventies where these these films were getting there were a ton of them getting made. They had a lot of appeal. They were well done. Mm -hmm. Superstars of the genre are 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 coming about. Um, probably in a sexist way also we're getting more male stars as our protagonists as opposed to you know more female wuxia stories mm -hmm. that you know touches zens you know yeah dragon in um also in, in america you had the kung fu show so there was like you know uh audiences were ready for the movie for oh, yeah, the it, movie yeah right and it just and it came out you know i when I was looking this up, someone mentioned that uh, I forget which Bruce Lee film had actually been released before that, but it only hit New York City. Mm -hmm. And they think that uh, Five Fingers of Death really, you know, because it was a, a, a countrywide release, all of America got it, that 
you know, it really, you know, it really took also, 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 you know, we've got exploitation cinema and we've got a lot of these things going on at the same time, you know, whatever the creation of midnight movies are, it just, it's a perfect storm and the genre just takes off. If you've seen Kill Bill one and two, the panic scream or panic alert or anger alert, which is this woo, which I will take an audio clip and put it in right now. Wasn't that part of the thing? Yes, it is. It is part of uh, Quincy Jones's theme from Ironside, uh, and it and it represents when our protagonist is using his uh, iron fist, mm-hmm. which looks more like an iron palm, <laughs> and uh, and is represented by just this great thing where he there's close ups of hands in the palms of his hands, and they they just shine red light on it, and. Uh, it really works. It really works. Um, you know, eye removal, which is also in uh, the Kill Bill movies, is oh yeah, is in this. So you know, it influenced a lot of things. And uh, you know, I guess plot wise, without getting crazy, you know, Lowly plays our protagonist. He's a student who's in love with his teacher's daughter. His, his teacher isn't that great of a teacher. And uh, uh, we eventually have him go to another school to learn techniques, uh, which sets up the conflict of, you know, conflicting schools and a tournament. It doesn't feel like two schools. It feels like one school and a, and a gang of thugs. Yeah, it's like one school and like a bodyguard company almost or something <laughs> right, like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very weird, uh, you know. And our character eventually learns this technique called the Iron Fist, which gives him the ability to kind of punch people dead. Yeah. One punch <laughs> dead. And, and there's uh, some great, like, Jack Kirby-esque, you know, like, results of a punch. Like, you know, a fist in a tree, you know, like a fist mark, uh, a shape it hole in a tree. And yeah, people, yeah, people go going through, through walls. <laughs> yeah, it's it really works. Uh uh, if you've seen the very end of um, Stephen Chow's uh, uh, Kung Fu Hustle, mm-hmm. there is a, an iron palm technique that looks like, it really feels like the end of this film. And, um, you know, it's standard fare. There's training, mm-hmm. there's levels, there's I'm not good enough, and they train more. Uh, Lowly, who is in a million million movies Mm -hmm. mostly plays bad guys uh and he's ridiculously charismatic in most of those roles he plays pi may or pi may adjacent in a bunch of movies (laughs) his character in dirty ho another underappreciated in my opinion shaw brothers film he's just he's terrific he he chews up the scenes he's really terrific no Uh, he had this great face he's also For more modern fans, I found this out like a month ago and was shocked because it's been so long since I've seen it. He plays the Thai, uh, you know, military drug dealer in Police Story Three. Yeah, you know those those <laughs> which things have... completely threw me for a loop. I was delighted though. I have not seen Police Story Three in a million years. I just re- recently watched Police Story. It holds up. Yeah. Holds up. Uh-huh. No, that whole trilogy is pretty pretty fine. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. So so lowly. He play, You know. He's a little kind of quiet and lonery and man with an almost <laughs> you know nothing to say. He's very. He's he's more Clint Eastwood in this than yep. than he is in a lot. But of with like things. a humility that Clint Eastwood doesn't have. No. Yes. Like. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of an example outside of genre, but like, yeah, like Shane, I think is the comparison I used before where it's sort of like, yes, I'm a professional gunfighter, but, you know, I'm much happier tilling the fields with this family that I just met. Right. It, it just it flows good. Uh, it's got more of a again, it, it has more of a story than it needs almost too much. But I think. Yeah, we'll that, get to that. <laughs> you know, it enriches that. And, uh, uh, you know. Again, it's amazing how you know I, I I didn't do it, but I felt like I could make a list of like checking the boxes. Yeah, right. So you get yeah, you get your rival schools, you get your break your school sign, you get your you know villains with bad hair. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you get know. your seventies score. You have your itinerant wandering kung fu master. Yeah, uh. it's just, you know, it's just uh, you know. Doesn't get to trade, and it's interesting too. I think one of the things I I didn't notice until this watching on how every place that our protagonist goes, he's he kind of goes to that place being skilled, but then when he gets there, someone always beats him, and he's always he's always bested. Mm -hmm. So you know he's good when he's from his little town. Then he travels to the other school, and he gets his ass handed to him. But then he learns stuff, and and you know there are. There's something about power levels. It's a, it's a weird yeah. thing to discuss. I, I was saying to the to the misses how maybe only something like Powerball Z you could kind is is kind of the clearest example. Wait, are you, I'm not, do you mean Dragon Ball Z? Did I say Powerball Z? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even playing the lotto. <laughs> yeah, Dragon Ball Z. Um, Dragon Ball Z because you know it's I feel. You know, I'm strong. He beat me. They beat me. You know, mm -hmm. I have to train. I've trained up. I'm not quite good enough yet. But and that trope that is seen a lot in movies, I think it's one of the things I like so much about Kung Fu movies. It's not really about who you are and if you're born with something. I mean, there's sometimes you only have to read a book for 10 minutes and you become a superhero. <laughs> but you still have to read that book and practice. And those qualities I really like. So. Yeah. And it has these tropes that, you know, now are kind of, now we live in a more globalized world, but like tropes that were not found in Western films at the time, like the idea that Lole is okay when he gets there, well, you know, has a kind of like localized Kung Fu training, but like, you know, he, he, she's not big city Kung Fu yet. Right. But like that the master at the school that he goes to kind of is like, well, you know what? You have the right character. You know, I can see you have some talent, but more importantly, you know, more importantly, you have like, you, you, you know, you're a good guy. I like the cut of your jib and therefore I'm going to specialize train you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to make you sweep. I'm going to make you clean. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw spears at you. Yeah. To I'm going to have like the crazy cook in the school laugh at you a lot. You know? Right. Who does not, who uh, crazy cooks usually know a lot of Kung Fu. He does. Yeah. Know. Somehow he, he managed Sport. to escape that stereotype. Right. Um, yeah. It has. Like I said, you know, it has like, I like the cut of your jib. It also has the should be a good guy, but is a jealous rival of the, you know, the big brother of the school. And yeah. it's this also, it's this weird, something you don't see in a lot of Kung Fu films in general is you have 
you know, you have the like the big brother, and the big brother is super jealous of Lole because the master has taken a shine to him, and then betrays Lole, and then you know goes to the people, you know, goes to like the villain of the film, like, hey, I betrayed Lole, so how about we hang out, and then gets the crap kicked out of him, but still, you know, near death. And I don't want to ruin like you know little I don't want to little shock moments. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ruin like certain you know certain moments involving eyeballs. But like, but you know, but then sort of like gets to have a redemptive a redemption arc with his romantic with like the woman who is the romantic rival of like everybody that like this is a film that like introduces a million characters and all the protagonists kind of get full story arcs. You know, like the itinerant kung fu guy who works for the evil master. You know, he realizes that the evil master is evil, so he stays away from him. And then, you know, beats a, you know, fights with the Japanese with the evil Japanese killers long enough so Lole can get to the competition. You know. Yeah, yeah. I I, I noticed something when we, you know, going back to our protagonist's level. You know, he starts out with this teacher. It, it, the movie opens with his original teacher being ambushed in an alley he gets away but he's hurt and he's he knows now he's old and he, mm -hmm. he maybe doesn't have you know the skill that he once had we don't see him for a, a bunch of the film we we see him later on again and when he's teaching he's teaching kids <laughs> and i thought that that was fascinating um it mm -hmm. gels and the other thing too is when I was going through what other people, you know, what do kids think of this movie? And when I was looking through other reviews, it was interesting that most people just like it. I think they're surprised at how enjoyable it is, mm -hmm. you know, even though it seems kind of hokey with the action compared to later ones. And it, it, it really is a good movie. I, I highly recommend it. And here's the thing. If you watch this movie and didn't like it, that doesn't mean you don't like kung fu movies. No. Like we were saying before, you could you could switch. You could go to no new wave films in the mid eighties. You could <laughs> you could you could veer over to you know highbrow stuff of the two thousands. You'll find what you're looking for. But uh, this is a good introduction. This is old school. Doesn't get more. No. Old school <laughs> it doesn't. No, it is pure. I mean, it's almost the. It, you know, if it weren't for Enter the Dragon, it's almost like what people would, I would say would be like what your idea of a Kung Fu film is if you don't, if you're not a fan of the genre, like right. from the seventies. Um, and yeah, like, like, and I just want to add, like, it's a plot. The story is, I don't want to say all over the place, but like 99% of your uh, average martial art films would have been content to end with a tournament. Yeah. You know, this film, the tournament is like, what the climax of act two <laughs> it, it does move the plot along but it is not important it is not masters of the flying guillotine mm -hmm. you know it is not uh films like that that really need that tournament yeah as meat for the rest of the film this is just a part of it yeah it, I, it's surprising because i think every time i watch it i expect there to be more turn tournament you but know. no, and the film builds to the tournament too. Like the tournament is something that they are talking about for you know the first hour of the film. Yeah. Uh, it also like it has a ridiculous amount of characters, but as I said, it all manages to work. You know, like and they all have their own little stories. They're not just kind of, you know, they're not tertiary at all. Uh, yeah, and and you do have several characters that that start out pretty rotten and uh, redeem themselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is rare, I think. 
or rarer. Yeah, I mean, it's a film I never get bored of watching. I always, it, it is, you know, it's like an old sweater. It's just really, yeah. yeah. It's, it's always like, since I rediscovered it, I guess in my 20s, it's like, yeah, I love this movie. This is mm. just perfect. Um, yeah, I can think like the, it's not necessarily a similar film, but like that, like Chinese boxer, or like if I want to see a Kung Fu oh. film from roughly 1972 that doesn't have Bruce Lee in it, these, right. those I are the two. And they also, it's, Three quarters of the cast are shared in the two films too. Well, well, that's it. If you if you watch things like like Chinese Boxer and uh, Five Fingers of Death, I mean, in a lot of ways they play out almost like the same movie. Yeah, uh, but I think Five Fingers of Death is much better. Um, well, and I, I think I, like Jimmy Wang Yu doesn't have that. I don't want to say sentimentality, but I, get, I can't think of a better word. Like there's. There's nothing romantic about Jimmy Wang Yu in terms of his films, where I think that in many ways, it's like a Douglas Sirk melodrama. It, you know, like Rock Hudson and Jane Wyatt could totally find themselves at home in this movie. <laughs> the Shaw Brothers movies, their 60s and 70s ones really do feel like old Hollywood. They're, yeah. you know, they're lush and there's a lot going on and, you know, they've kind of got a system going. You get some amazing sets Lole also has a story credit on the film. Really? Is, yeah. And I've often wondered, was this like, was this him making his big swing? Like, like trying to be like, I want to be a leading man. Um, and I got this yeah. great story, blah, blah, blah. And it just didn't work out. You know, Dice didn't roll his way for whatever reason. Although, you know, whatever. Character actor for 40 years, it's fantastic. So, you know, <laughs> one should be so lucky to be to have that for something not to work out like that you know yeah you know i was thinking the same thing is it is it is it the studio system is it the fact that you know shore brothers said no you're not you're not a leading man did he piss off someone did he say i didn't want to do it these these are really interesting things that i i would love to know that i feel like isn't as easily no yeah he's he directs um fist of the white lotus uh lowly uh, Clan, of the, uh, Clan of the White Lotus. Yeah, but again, being a director on that versus who the action director is, it it doesn't feel. And you know, again, it is such a great. I mean, even relative to was it Executions of Shaolin is the first time he plays Pai Mei with in the Long Car Long film. I imagine it is. I don't think he plays that character beforehand. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yes, but it is Executions of Shaolin. I want to make sure yeah. I got my movie title right. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But like Fist of the White Lotus, it's like. You know, as fine as Low Lays as Pi May and Executioners, he's like a gift in Fist of the White Lotus. That film is so made around him. You oh know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It is. It is truly infinitely watchable. That film. Yeah. I, I never get tired. When when I want to watch an old school film, uh, I see myself drawn to that. You know, it was those top fives. It's like, oh man, it's just so pleasant. I've seen it so yeah. many times. It's so good. And he um, sound, seems like. Both the character of Pai Mei and Lo Lei himself seem to be having so much fun throughout the film. Martial arts films by the late 70s are getting more choreographed, more acrobatic. His style seems a little stilted to me, but Pai Mei's character is very direct. That mm -hmm. white-eyebrowed monk is, you know, punch and stuff, and he knows where he is, and he, he doesn't exert a lot of energy, and... Lowly's perfect for yeah. that. It's unbelievable how he sells that. Well, from what I understand, he wasn't a martial artist. He was an actor who learned movie martial arts because that's what kind of what you had to do if you wanted to work in Hong Kong. Yeah. But and, I think uh, he pulls it off. Like, 
I am a big fan of the actor David Chang, but like I do have to admit, David Chang is nothing spectacular to watch on screen for the most part. Lola, you know, and from what I understand, Chang was a stuntman who probably knew a lot more martial arts than Lola does. But Lola works a thousand times better as a martial arts actor. When I was upset in the 2000s with martial arts films, every Friday I would have a group of friends over mm -hmm. and I would show two martial arts films almost every week for eight years. It was insane. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things that you kind of learned with the actors that seemed to really appeal to us was that they, they knew how to pose. Mm -hmm. They knew how to have a presence. Jet Li, who is doubled in so much of the shit that he does, especially the later stuff. But when he's on screen, he's captivating. You look at him. He knows how to pose. He knows how to stand. Oh, yeah. And, and, it, and it's, it, it's, it's, it works. I think the big stars have that. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. You know, they look like a good comic book panel. <laughs> yeah. um, Five Fingers, uh, you know, highly recommended. Watch it. See what you think. Go from there. I, I, could, could I ask you what your film is now? Well, I, you have a choice. Do you want something problematic or something solid? Let's go solid. Lon's escort company. He has a good site. It's right in the middle of the town's best business area. I want it. I've told Chin and Cho to seek one and to make him sell. Yes. I want sell. All right. I uh, just watched for the first time in years uh, The Magnificent Ruffians, a.k.a. Oh, The Destroyers. Wow. And I wanted to, I really wanted to watch something. I wanted to talk about something that like couldn't take up its own episode. Like <laughs> we could spend the next three hours talking about Five Fingers of Death, you know? Right. Like right. something that wouldn't take up its own episode, but also, you know, didn't really want to start in a negative light, you know, with like something that was bad. And, but like Magnificent Ruffians, it's not the best Venoms film. It's not, you know, but it's also, it's not like Legend of the Fox or something. It is a solid B, B plus Kung Fu movie. Wherein, uh, wherein the Venom mob, as they are collectively known, uh, play, you know, itinerant Kung Fu bums who fall <laughs> under the sway of, what's his name? I think it's Lo Fang, who is a rich uh, owner of an escort service. And by escort service, I mean like personal police escorts, not, you know, prostitutes. Right. Uh, also, Lo Mang, the Lu Fang is the bad guy. Lo Mang is owns a failing escort business, and the uh, Kung Fu bums become friends with him. Although Lu Fang wants to buy his business and also marry the marry uh, Lo Mang's sister. Um, and there's just you know, and it, and it's a plot of intrigue. It has its standard like Cheng Shei melodrama. Uh, I guess we should talk about Chang Shea a little bit, maybe. Yeah. He is, he's basically, in terms of story, he's probably, he's my favorite Shaw Brothers director. And in terms of melodrama, like that is just such as meat and potatoes. Everything right. is about like the relationship of men and what happens when they get stabbed in their intestines. Right. Heroic bloodshed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's weird. I've watched a lot of like old uh, Hong Kong trailers and I wonder if this was Shaw Brothers not realizing what Dave, what Chang Shea's skills were or what the public enjoyed about him. But like in all the trailers, like, you know, the great discoverer, young talent, Chang Shea brings you Alexander Fusheng. 
and I could kind of see that, yeah, like he worked with a couple of young guys for a couple of years, then found a couple of new young guys and found new young guys after that. And then eventually retired. But it's weird. Like it never lay, I never hear like the guy who always delivers heartbreaking, tragic stories of, of heroes is never something that is mentioned in these trailers, which has always shocked me because that's what he does amazingly yeah. well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And again, a separation between, you know, director and action director. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, when we get into the Chang Che Venom films, they're going to feel very different from those earlier 70s films. Oh, yeah. Martial arts films he made. And I mean, he made, I mean, he made a lot of classics. Yeah, he made close to 100. I think it's something like 88 or something like that. Uh, but yeah, but like the martial arts action is done by, uh, you know, the three, the three main Venoms, if you will, the Chang Shang, uh, Chang Shang, Philip Kwok, who's a uh, Ko Choi, whose Chinese name was Ko Choi, and uh, Lu Fang. And like Lu Fang's character has this, you know, has this like giant golden halberd <laughs> that he shot, <laughs> that he like destroys people with. He's also having like, like it's one of those ridiculous but great villains. Like, yeah, I'm rich and I just really like to kill people with Kung Fu. <laughs> like, and, it, and it's, you know, it's set in like the early 20th century. So like trains have come to China, uh, you know, trains have come to China and guns have come to China, which kind of leads like private police forces out of their, uh, you know, private police forces, the guys who are masters of Kung Fu out on their ass, you know, and like Lu Fang, for whatever reason, is the one guy who still managed to, who managed to keep his money <laughs> in this industry. And, but yeah, but his whole thing is like, well, I've invited you over here to discuss Kung Fu. You know, if you can, if you, you know, if you can counter by one stroke, I will, you know, bring you on as employee. And then he murders them. Like, <laughs> it's like, you didn't say you were going to kill us. I'm like, if you were good, you would have blocked it. What can I tell you? You know, the uh, five deadly venoms, the venom mob, mm -hmm. they're synonymous with old school. And God knows, even when they, they weren't Shaw Brothers, when some of the guys did some stuff in other studios, woof, they were weird. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everybody talks about, uh, five Deadly Venoms. I mean, mm -hmm. because that's was a staple of us growing up on TV. It also, I think that movie is iconic mostly because of the, the masks and everything. It's not anywhere near my favorite Venoms film by far. Uh, and I think that like things like Magnificent Ruffians, Flags of Iron. Yeah, Flag uh, of Iron's a great one. Um, yeah, uh, also, a remake of Duel, the, of the Duel, the uh, D. Long J. Chang film. Right. And I never, like, it was weird seeing both those films as a kid. It never occurred to me just because they're so visually different. And then, like, as an adult, like, wait a minute, this is the exact same plot. During the Venoms period of Shaw Brothers, you know, we're mostly set bound, right? Yeah. He hardly, we hardly ever get out of that. Kid set. with the Golden Arm has a couple of exterior shots. That's about, that's the only one I can yeah, think of. Yeah, you'll get them every once in a while, but it doesn't, it really, yeah, and, and I think, you know, a lot of those Venom films that don't come to mind when you first, like, I would not, if you said name Venom films right away, Magnificent Ruffians, I might not even think of. Yeah. But they're all enjoyable. You know, they're solid action. Again, the melodrama, the overtop fighting, mm -hmm. you know, whether they have crazy weapons or not, they, they all work. And the three, you know, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Phil Kwok and Sheng Shang and Liu Feng, they all, they apparently were all, you know, trained together at, uh, you know, a Taiwanese opera, a Taiwanese, uh, opera school. And I mean, like, and they just, their chemistry, their fighting chemistry is incredible. Uh, you know? Well, yeah. If you, if you were to compare, like what I was saying before, with, you know, five figures of death being kind of punch and block, kind of, they're on trampolines, they're jumping around and they're punching and, and, and the, 
the energy is really done in the cuts and stuff. I mean, you need wide shots in, in Venom. Yeah. The, 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 the acrobatics are unfucking believable you know, really, really terrific. Um, oh, it's it's like a Stare Rogers or something. You need the wide shot to really appreciate the dancing. You know, like it is. Yeah, they are so good. Um, and again, I just love, like, you know, the reason why I took like Magnificent Ruffians is it's sort of like, is it Venoms? Is it Cripple Avengers? Is it the Kid with the Golden Arm? Which I guess most people would consider kind of the big three. No, but it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's like you know, it's totally solid. Yeah, There's right. like, like right. all the fight. You know, is the fighting outstanding? Yes, but I mean, in comparison to the other films, it's probably you know on average. You know, but like, hmm. but it's still good. I mean, if not great, it, it's still hmm. yeah. And like all the you know, and all the uh, Venom guys get their own little scenes and they get their, have their own little parts. Um, they get their moments. You know, it, it just like wow, this is great. And you also you you do also have. One of my favorite tropes of Kung Fu movies, the kind of like slimy henchman, not, not like the henchman who knows Kung Fu, but like, but right. master, I have a great idea. Why right. don't you murder her? You know, right. <laughs> like, sometimes that guy works for the Japanese. Sometimes he has a really hairy yeah. mole <laughs> exactly. on his chin. <laughs> but yeah, like, like, and it's just like one of my favorite characters and that character, that character's in Magnificent Ruffians and is great at being the slimy, like the slimy, I guess, consigliere almost. It's interesting because you're making me want to watch the movie again. I have not seen that movie in ages. And it's just, there's so many of these damn movies. It's really hard to keep up with stuff you might want to rewatch. Oh, no, know? totally. If, if, like I, uh, you know, Arrow Video did a uh, Shaw Brothers, a Shaw Scope volume one set last year and a Shaw Scope volume two set that came out like in December. And I still haven't watched all, I mean, I've seen all of these movies, but like, you know, there's, I know it's also being, you know, being a grown up as opposed to a kid, I can't watch 16 movies in a row, oh, yeah. know, like or over a weekend. Like I just, yeah. I have things to do. Right. <laughs> well, even, even in 2000, when I became obsessed, the worst of it was, I think during the uh, first summer, uh, I remember I'd watch like three or four Kung Fu movies a day. Mm -hmm. I would literally, I would like go to bed. Like, uh, and go, no, I got to go to bed and watch two or three movies. And then if I could find time, I was just so obsessed with trying to see every one of them, which is impossible. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just, like I said, like, I really enjoyed this movie uh, and I have not seen it since maybe early 20s. Um, wow. A, I hadn't seen it since my early 20s and B, I, I never owned it. So it was something maybe I saw three times in total in my life, you know, from like 10 years old on. But yeah, it's just like, like I said, like everything clicks, everything works. Um, the worst thing I can say about it is in the dub, the voice that uh, Chang, Shea, uh, Chang Shang has is a bit, not his voice, a bit too gravelly when she usually has the kind of like higher pitched, like I'm young and mischievous, but like mischievous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I should add too that when I rewatched uh, King uh, Boxer, I did do the dubbed version when I saw them as a kid the dub is very special to me. So I like them. Although when they originally got restored, I've re I've watched all these movies, you know, with maybe the original language. Those yeah. are arguments all the time. Is it certainly, yeah. But I mean, like yeah. certainly uh, not in English, <laughs> you know, but the, the, yeah, the dubs bring a lot to it. And, and I don't think in an offensive way, you know, they don't there, it, it isn't, the dubs are 
uh, might be silly, but they're not silly in a ethnic way, you know, to, does that make sense? Am yeah, I no, there's nobody, uh, you know, forgive me for putting it this way, Mr. Magoo's uh, houseboy voice, you know, right, right. Nobody, no, is... nobody's doing a flied lice thing. It's always, yeah. you know, I, but they're also funny because they will use weird like old style slang, like a lot of people get referred to even the title magnificent ruffians. When was the last time you heard somebody oh, use the word ruffian? Yeah. Right. But like, right. you know, rascal is a common term. Right. Um, right. you know, you'll have things like a man ought to pay his dues. I reckon you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I reckon is in way too many of these yeah. movies. Yeah, definitely. And then you, you kind of learn to laugh at some of the voices. There's, mm -hmm. there's a voice of usually a side character that's high pitched that just, you go, Oh, it's that guy. Yeah. I love that guy. <laughs> no, totally. And occasionally you'll get like a voice that's just so out of whack. It's like, what the hell? Like a, whatchamacallit, uh, legendary weapons of Kung Fu or legendary weapons in China. There's a, a, a I guess a maitre d who's a, you know, a maitre d who's talking to the like hero of the film. And it's like, Wow, that old man must be very good at chopping wood. Yeah, and that wood he's carrying, it weighs 600 pounds. He's yeah. very well known for a woodcutter. And you're like, what? what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where did yeah. that come from? And it's like every other voice in that, every other dub voice in that film is something I've recognized for another film, but this kind of, you know, airsat Scatman Crothers. Is not like... Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 really, it's really an interesting other facet of it. I wonder if people who are discovering these films now, how often they uh, listen to the dubs versus the uh, the original language or with subtitles. Yeah, who knows? And sometimes, you know, I've done comparisons, like have the subtitle track while the dub is on. Um, and at least with Shaw Brothers, I mean, and there's martial world stuff that forget about it, you know, but like with your kind of meat and potatoes kung fu film that's set in a semi, in a reality you're conscious of kind of thing. Like, you know, the difference is very slight, you know, in terms of like what the actual dialogue is. And usually it's saying the same sentence, but in a shorter way or longer way to fit the, uh, you know, like to, to fit the amount of syllables in the mouth movements. You know, by the time we get to Magnificent Ruffians, the show studios are run, are kind of winding down, but we still have this, just this, like, there's just this energy and there's just this, like, overwhelming competence i guess that would be like everybody's good in it it's well directed is it set bound obvious yes it's a 1982 shaw brothers film or whatever but like it's still it just it delivers <laughs> like well set bound stuff i mean again it's i i feel like that's a choice i mean you know you don't you don't necessarily get mad at the wizard of oz no no i, I mean it just it. i mean like like at that point the Shaw Brothers is a very economical studio. They were not. That's they, a they word. were going to pay. What's that? <laughs> That's a word. Yeah. Economical. <laughs> yeah. It is now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it is a very fiscally responsible studio, and there was a bit of cranking them out at some point. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's sort of the set bound thing, you know, kind of speaks to that. And probably it was like the fifth film Chang Shea directed that year, you know, as opposed to, you know, when you look in the early 70s, you look at something like the heroic ones and, you know, uh, and you know, comparatively, it's you know, it's goddamn Lawrence of Arabia, you know. Right, right. Uh, but you know, with that said, you know, it's not that I have the problem with the set with the set, uh, set bound stuff. It's just that you know, you can tell like you can tell this is probably a movie made in three weeks, but it delivers in every way you could want it to deliver. You know. 
Well, I mean, one of the things when I was getting into this and trying to read up about how these were actually made is the reverse of what you get in Western action films or even Western martial arts films mm -hmm. is that most of the time is not spent on those action set pieces. You know, you don't have, you know, it's, it's sometimes you'll have actors rehearse for weeks for certain things and then try to do the action as quickly as possible. And they don't necessarily get that care. You know, these films deliver on these set pieces because this is the golden age of this shit. Yeah. I mean, right now there are some great living action directors still working or in a home somewhere, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, the 70s and 80s, that's it. I mean, we get the greats of this genre. You know, these are the comparable to the Buster Keatons and the Charlie yeah. Chaplins. These are unbelievable legends. You're getting these guys in their prime who can, you know, in terms of action, can just knock it out and you'll be astounded. Yeah. Um, and it's weird, and I never knew this before, but I was, I think, listening to some, I was watching Jack, uh, Dragons Forever, and there was also, and on the new Blu-ray, there was a commentary track, which I was also listening to. And apparently, like, Dragons Forever and a lot of, like, you know, Jackie Samuel stuff is almost the opposite of Shaw Brothers, where it's like, Shaw Brothers is always, here's a film you got a month to put together, where they would spend, and I think, uh, you know, Cynthia Rothrock talks about this, too, when working on, like, uh, not Yes, Madam, um, the movie she did with Yum Bao, Righting Wrongs? Maybe, yeah. yeah. But she was talking about, like, yeah, you no, know, like, we would work on a fight scene for six weeks, you know, <laughs> like... Just the opposite, where the Shaws, it's sort of like, you know, well, Lau Kar Lung and Lau Kar Wing are, you know, are brothers who learn from their father and know each other like the back of their hand. They can just go and we'll have to do, and every other scene we'll do in three weeks, you know? Right. Well, didn't they also, weren't they all working on three or four movies at the same time? So one of the things I did notice rewatching Five Fingers of Death, and it was a constant running joke with me and my friends, mm -hmm. is that in a Kung Fu movie, what we think of as Hong Kong Kung Fu cinema mostly, you can't go to a restaurant and eat without getting <laughs> into a fight. It's impossible. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because you know when people wind up in a restaurant, yeah. <laughs> they're going to get into a fight. No, it's, it's, it's true. It is, and it is, it's literally trouble. Like, is there a period set Kung Fu film that doesn't have like a tea house or like, you know, Chinese restaurant or, or what they call in China restaurants? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, right. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just, you, you have to have one. I mean, like, yeah, it is. An, it is an I mean, I guess it's the Western saloon equivalent, you know. Exactly. Exactly. But sometimes people do go to the saloon and, and pick up a prostitute or something. Yeah. It seems like every time you can't eat, you know, you're not allowed to eat. Uh, no, you're not. Um, to that point, something I've always noticed, uh, and I understand the reason is for in, for the purposes of showing power and impact, but like, it's hard to believe that, uh, it's hard to believe how bad woodworking carpentry skills were in 17th century China. Like, <laughs> If you even like you, you, you do not fall through a table, you know, do not fall on a table. You will always fall through a table. Uh, like, 
for some reason, a, a wooden quarter staff can can take a stool and tear it in half. Restaurant. <laughs> um, you cannot, and that's our kung trope. Yeah, <laughs> Oof, kung trope. No, you know, I can't help it. I can't <laughs> help it that I'm the comedic genius. It, it just comes naturally to me. No, I don't I'm think of me any differently. I just no, see, I'm a I'm a uh, hypocrite. I use puns a lot, but uh, if anybody else uses them, I, I I tease them about it. But yeah, I I don't know. I think that's kind of a first episode. Do you? I uh, yeah, I think we pretty much. I think we hit it out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast of Fury. Be sure to check out our other podcasts. Paul's the co-host of Tear Them Apart, a great horror movie conversation show. And I co-host ABC Devo and ABCD TOS. One is about Devo, the other is about Star Trek. It's up to you to guess which is which. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy.